What's going on, everybody? I'm excited for today's show because we got to interview Mike Butera, who is the founder of Artifon. If you don't know who Artifon is, you haven't seen my videos with the Orba or the Instrument One, two really cool MIDI controllers slash instruments. Now the Orba, you can loop on it and it's a synth itself. Um, but yeah, founder of Artifon, we get into talking about how you invent musical instruments in the modern age and his process for coming up with ideas and how he brought these instruments to life, which I think is super exciting. And he talks about like building his team and executing creative ideas. I don't know, Artifon is just doing really cool stuff. Obviously I've been involved with them for a while, like making videos with their instruments. And it was cool to hear about like how this whole thing started and how does one actually get a music instrument out there? And how does one actually rethink how musical instruments work? It's a really fun, conversation and I think you will find it enlightening and I think you'll enjoy it also we talk about like career paths like if you want to do this one day for a living I, I, I just think it's super cool anyway enjoy the talk with Mike and uh, let's get into it uh, let's bring in our friend Mike from Artifon Mike welcome to the show hi I'm so happy hi. to have nice you to Thank you for coming on. Um, I know that the the chat and the community is probably excited for this talk. It's a different kind of interview than we normally do. We usually have like artists or like, of course, you are an artist for sure. Um, but like people directly like in the making music business, which I'm sure you do as well. But I'm excited to expose the community to somebody who is making instruments. I think that's the most exciting part about today. Um, What's cool and what I kind of want to start with is maybe how do you define yourself and what you do? I always ask this of, you know, the artists that I have on too. It's like, how do you define yourself? Are you a content creator? Are you a musician? Are you whatever? So I think on your level, you can probably answer this in many different ways. But Mike, founder of Artifon, how do you define yourself in this 2020 music and technology world? That's a great opening question. Um, you know, I, I have been, I, I used to be a musician, you know, on the road and songwriter and all that. I, I went to school for this kind of stuff. And then, um, and then I ended up doing uh, graduate work in, in technology and sound and theory and all that. So I've kind of, even before getting into musical instrument design, um, got to play with a few identities there. Yeah. You know, and, and be creative in, in those different ways. I think um, these days, for me, what, what's really driving me and therefore kind of defining what I do, I think is, is this aspect of design that's about empowering other people to be creative. Like I've, I've been able to be creative in my life. You know, I grew up playing violin and I learned how to use these tools. Um, but then really the challenge that I'm taking on now is um, how to bring that same kind of um, yeah, creative empowerment to, to other people. So I think the simple answer would be, I see myself as a designer of creative experiences wow. for people um, that can take the form of more traditional musical instrument type stuff, but then getting into very new territories of what we can redefine as, as musically creative that aren't just, you know, which instrument do you play and what genre do you play? That kind of thing. Yeah, that's an amazing definition. It's designer of, you know, the creative tools. I wonder, 
Can you tell us a little bit about like when was the moment where you were like, oh, all these instruments that already exist, they're fine. But what if, you know, there was something different? Like, what if I could create something different? Was there a spark for you? Did you meet somebody that was like, oh, you could make that idea that you have? Like, where did that what's that origin story there? Uh, well, you, you kind of nailed it. So um, there, I was living in Nashville. This was about 10 years ago. And I had just finished my PhD where I was studying sound and philosophy and technology and all this stuff. So I was very heady and, you know, publishing and doing that whole academic thing and, and teaching at the time. And I met a friend uh, named Dave, and he had worked at a, he had just left a uh, consumer electronics company where they designed all kinds of um, accessories and and lifestyle stuff and all that and so we we just totally you know just dove in together crazy uh you know coffee and, and drinks and all kinds of uh, conversations and as we got to talking i realized that you know i was tossing out these ideas that were coming from my research but then were really about applying it to culture. It wasn't like research for its own sake. It was like, yeah, well, this concept that has actually been going on for hundreds of years and, you know, uh, Facebook or whatever, you know, uh, social media kind of thing, like they kind of converge and maybe we could do this. And he was like, yeah, that's a good idea. And so and, you know, he would toss out ideas and pretty soon we actually started a, a design firm together to try to, realize some of this stuff yeah. um so we design products for other people the the actual like the classic nashville moment though did actually happen for me it was it was about 10 years ago um i was at a dinner party with some friends behind their house and this was a very rare thing the house did not contain any musical instruments in nashville, this is nashville which wow was very weird yeah um she was an artist a, a visual artist and so um you know, it, was, it wasn't her thing. Anyway, we, there were a couple of musicians in the backyard. And so we were like, let's, let's sing our songs to each other. You know, let's, let's just do the kind of campfire thing. And nobody had a, uh, nobody had an instrument. So I was like, oh, well, let's just get out our phones. And everyone laughed. Yeah. And, um, you know, I mean, this was so fresh at the time totally. thinking about um, this stuff. So I was like, no, seriously, there's these apps. And I showed them, you can like, you know, choose your chord and strum on the screen or play a little, play a little thing. Like GarageBand so on an iPhone, like iPhone 3G status. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, after the laughs, we actually did start passing around our phones. I think I hooked it up to like a, an external speaker and we, and people, you know, most, most songs are three or four chords. So, sure. um, we got the hang of it and it was great. We, we really enjoyed it. But what I realized is we were sitting there and we were staring at our screens. Like all our friends are sitting around, but like when I was, you know, playing and singing, I was doing it. I looked like this, yeah, just staring at a screen. And, and I realized that even though we have these whole studios and infinite sounds in our pockets and all that stuff, the ergonomics, of digital music, whether it's the phone in your hands or your laptop screen, it's the same, you know, it's the same posture. It's kind of, um, it's kind of like you're ignoring the world and totally. you're, you're in your little zone. And so I, I thought, 
what would it take to get people back out into the world like an acoustic guitar does, you know, uh, and, and traditional instruments and give the ergonomics and even like the uh, haptic feedback of, um, of traditional instruments, the muscle memory, if you had developed it, but also really the thing for me was how can we take these traditional gestures, abstract them? Like it's not a guitar, it's a strum. Right. You know, it's not a piano key. It's a tap or a press. Uh, it's not a violin. It's a slide. Let's look at these gestures in the abstract and then create devices. At first, I was like, well, we could create a range of devices. And I was like, well, we could slam them into one yeah. and create a single device that could kind of do all those gestures, not quite be any of those instruments. It's not trying to be, but let people participate in them and plug into all these amazing sounds that are in our pockets. And, you know, then the instrument one um, uh, sure. uh, happened. Yeah. So that's what started. Let's maybe talk about that. The the origin of the instrument one, or maybe even like, I think what would be really interesting is what is even the process of designing, prototyping, getting something like this to market, basically. Like it starts with yeah. the idea. It starts with how do we explode, uh, explode all these gestures like strum and slide and how do we get them into a package? And then like getting that made. Like I know I've seen early pictures, I believe, of an early prototype and it looks nothing like this. It looks very different. It was wood. Um, Which is uh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe some limited was, collector's edition uh, someday. <laughs> um, we experimented with a lot of different form factors, uh, some of which took on more experimental, spacey kind of things and others which were super simplified, minimalist kind of things. I think we ended up definitely in the minimalist side of it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, a lot of people looking at Artifon now might think we're some, you know, big company who has it all together. I mean, we're, we're still, we're still startup. And even this many years later, we're, we're trying to figure this stuff out every day. Yeah. Um, so the way I started designing things and, and gathering people together who had different skill sets to do different parts of it is the same thing we're doing today. Um, we, we have thousands of customers now rather than zero, but um, it's, it's actually, I, it feels very similar to me as, as it did 10 years ago. So basically what, what I did is I started with that concept, um, did a lot of not just drawings, but like user experience mapping. So, um, uh, you know, UX is this field. It takes a lot of different forms, but um, thinking through who the who the users are what they really desire you know what and, and not necessarily even what they're asking for explicitly because usually that's a problem-based thing hmm. but like what do they really want and um and then which which thing that they want do you want to do you want to tackle and i realized obviously we couldn't do it all so for for me you know founding artifon wasn't about creating a sort of trickle down instrument model like we see almost everywhere in music tech yeah. it's designed for the pros designed for the tradition and then everyone else who wants to be a part of it they can catch up if they want to right you know they can take lessons they can watch your youtube channel or whatever yeah. and learn how to learn how to do this all this really difficult stuff um i wanted to flip that as much as possible 
and say, regardless of your skill set coming in, the desire I want to address and what we're going to design around is immediately accessible sound and and really, really uh, expressive sound, not just like tap here and something happens and and that's all that ever happens. But right. every time you tap, it will be a little different and and you can really find your own way of of expressing yourself not because you can do a lot of technological patching or mapping or whatever, but because we've created these intuitive instruments. So a lot of that kind of theory or, or UX planning before even starting to do any kind of um, industrial design or, or electronics design or any of that. Once I figured out the basics, um, I looked at a couple of different technologies and, you know, I figured rather than going super boutique, which the wood prototypes, uh, notwithstanding, you know, right. one way to get started. But I said, I really want to make this as, as, um, as ubiquitous as, as we can get it. Like how many people could afford these? How can we make them at scale so that people, you know, they're not these things you hang on your wall. Yeah. Uh, these museum pieces, they're like everyday objects. Um, so it became, you know, how are things manufactured? And I got some experience with my other products. I designed like speakers and home electronics kind of stuff. How were things manufactured? And so then it was, what kind of processors do we use? What, you know, are we creating a computer here or is it really a lighter weight thing? Um, what kind of sensors do we need to, uh, to capture these nuanced gestures in a way that aren't literally strings or keys or pads or any of that, right. but we could, we could take them all in. So then I started talking with people um, and finding some engineers, finding some designers, um, finding some some people in marketing and and sort of you know more of the consumer space, like being it products people who could translate um, some of these insights into the product design. So we we really come at it from all those angles. And then we got some early investors in who believed in this basic vision. Um, you know, small incremental checks just to build prototypes and, and all that. But in Nashville, you know, it's called music city. Yeah. Uh, people, people really believe in music and there's always been, there's always been this um, thread for us of not music education, just in the sense of kids in classrooms, but how can we reach a broader number of people than ever before through technology and get people into music making who just would never believe they could do it before. For sure. And I think, um, yeah, our investors and our customers, like people, people have caught on to that, and that's been, it's been really inspiring for me. It's kept me going this whole time. Absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm thinking about the audience yeah. right now, and um, I think in any creative yeah. project, there tends to be a. I, I know for me, this is something that I've had to overcome over years of being a creative person is uh especially being a very insular solo creative person think about your experience as a founder and having these ideas and coming up with this vision but then the moment and realizing like okay i can't do all of this myself like and not only um can i not do it myself i would be limiting the impact of my vision if i just tried to keep it all to myself and tried to accomplish it on my own do you want to talk a little bit about what was what, what the moment like when you were like, okay, I need to build a team, like, and how do I find the right people? And how do I 
how do I take this vision that I have, this very like, you know, we've not seen things like this before and get everybody on the team on board with the vision and get them understanding and get them to be true representatives of like that vision and what you're trying to do. Uh, yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, I just simply couldn't have done anything like this alone, you know, my whole life. Um, and it's so much more fun to work with people. You right. know, it's, it's just, it's the only way to do it. So, um, you know, I met, uh, my co-founder Jacob, um, soon into this process and, and he, um, he really helped frame the, um, you know, the way this would resonate with the market. And again, this sort of desire loop of, uh, what, what people really want and then how we can create things. So he was, he was just great. Um, uh, and networking and, uh, you know, meeting new people, constantly expanding who can even, who, who knows we're out there. Um, the, on the technical side, you know, I'm, I'm really curious about how, how all the, all the details work. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not the one literally writing the code, uh, for all this stuff. And there's not, not enough time to do it or learn it or any of that. So finding experts, um, in, in the case of Orba, which we'll get to in, in, yeah, in a minute, I'm sure. Um, uh, you know, we brought in a lot of people who were in aerospace and wow. the kind of precision that it takes to launch, you know, SpaceX or Blue Origin rockets. Um, and the, it, it's very precise, obviously, but it, it has to work. And with music, strangely enough, there's a lot of the same principle. Like you're on stage, you're playing, it just has to work. Yep. Uh, and, and so that's been that's been really inspiring the past couple of years working with people with that that level of attention to detail um and i think it really it really comes through in the you know industrial design and the simplicity of the product and now as we're building out more and more features with like firmware updates and all that um you know there's just so much we can do so i i'm just constantly inspired by our own team um and we're we're always meeting people and collaborating with people like other brands and customers and, and artists um, are feeding in. Like we, we just released a, um, a Max for Live um, uh, kind of a, a download on our website to map Orba in Ableton. And we didn't do that alone. Like one of our uh, beta testers was like, hey, can I just can I build this like this? Yeah. I really want this. And if I build it, would you use it? We're like, yeah, man, let's, let's do For this. Sure. So that's, it's not even just our own little team. You know, we're, we're just a couple people. It's the whole community that we're building yeah. around us who, um, yeah, is, is constantly inspiring us. And obviously that's, I mean, that's why we're doing it at all. Yeah. So, let's talk about that yeah. a little bit too, because I know, um, both instrument one and Orba were Kickstarter funded, right? Kickstarter projects, oh, yeah. which I think is a cool aspect to talk about too. Like um, the com the Kickstarter community, I think what ultimately ends up happening, and what I'm seeing, because I'm a member of um, an Orba Facebook group now, I was encouraged to join, and, and it's really cool. But I think what ends up happening yeah. is when you have a Kickstarter product, and and they are so such cool products, and they actually do yeah. come to life, um, is that you're backers in your community are not just consumers but they're also like invested in the product and invested in the journey you want to talk a little bit about um the choice to go the kickstarter route and sort of like what your experience has been in that world 
Yeah, no, I, I was hoping we'd talk about this. So, um, you know, we we just couldn't have gotten here without Kickstarter at all. Like this is um, this is a project that, or both of these were projects that we had we'd gotten to the point of designing them where we felt like we'd reached enough of the vision of what these could be, and and we tested it really just um, incrementally, you know, sort of anecdotally. Um, but we kept both of them kind of, kind of secret a little bit, uh, leading up and, and Kickstarter was our way of going out and saying, okay, we've taken this as far as, as we can go, um, from a business standpoint, even like we poured everything into R and D on this. Now, how are we going to get it to the next, you know, the next level? How are we going to manufacture this? Cause launching into manufacturing thousands of things at a time is really expensive really scary, really risky. And we're not even talking about 2020 yet, right? Right. Like this is it's hard enough as is. So we went out and basically with instrument one, we said maybe 250 people want this. That's how we kind of structured the campaign. And if so, we'll figure it out. It'll be like not even small batch manufacturing. It'll be hand built something, prototypes, 3D printed bodies, or whatever we would need to do to make sure it happened. But we would learn through that. And, um, and we got over 10 times that many people. Wow. And so we launched into, yeah, we got over 3,000 people for Instrument One. It was the largest Kickstarter for a musical instrument in the world. Was that a huge surprise and to you? Was it were you kind of shocked and excited at the same time? It was, it was amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, we didn't. We didn't know. We literally like pressed the button at one a.m. or whatever it was, and we're like, "Okay, we'll see." We've given it our best shot. We'll see what happens. And people just responded. And you're right. Like people are coming in, and with Kickstarter, it's not a purchase, right? It's a. I mean, they call it a. A, a pledge or, or yeah. whatever. Um, but it's, you're, you're getting involved in the process of it. And so we, we wanted to invite people into that whole process. I mean, it's, it's scary designing a product, developing manufacturing is all scary, but um, I think people learn what we've noticed is a lot of our backers over the years have by going on that journey, they've learned more about how the things they use every day are made we have these great conversations with them about like, Oh, you know, I hadn't even thought of logistics before. Or I didn't know what tooling was with, um, you know, with plastics manufacturing, you know, that kind of thing. So we're not, um, you know, the goal of Artifon is not necessarily to educate people on consumer electronics type right. manufacturing, but in the process, I think hopefully people are getting more aware of our sort of everyday life and, and how we actually make it. These aren't just black boxes that, pop out of a factory they're for sure they're a whole, a whole process and, and all that so the challenge there the other side of it and because now with orba we basically did the same thing we kept it kept it pretty quiet we launched it on kickstarter and then it just it just took off and and then we had you know uh, over twelve thousand people sign up on the kickstarter that time and again like world record we we did not we didn't see that coming. We knew the instrument one worked and then we're like, well, now we're going to redesign the, the, you know, the concept of the multi-instrument to hold in your hands. Do people even want this? This isn't, this isn't a normal thing. And, um, the, I think the challenge overall is, and, and, you know, we've struggled with this, uh, throughout the both campaigns is 
there's these expectations that we had at the start of the campaign, our best guess of how to deliver something. And then there's the reality of the world that some of it is in our control and some of it isn't. Totally. And we're, you know, we're doing our best. We're a small team. We're trying to communicate, but designing the product, shipping it and all that. And just having now the havoc of, of 2020. Of the yeah. Well that, and this, this year in particular has yeah. been. Oh, Picked a great uh, year to launch a product, huh? <laughs> hey, no, no, honestly, honestly, we, we did. And, um, as hard as it's been and as, as wild as the, um, as the process of getting here it continues to be, I mean, we're, we're still in the middle of it all. Um, what drove us is that this is the year it ended up being the year when, you know, people want this or need it or desire it the most, like the, the number of people this year, um, there was a Rolling Stone article recently that was really good with some stats on this searching for musical instruments, trying a musical instrument out for the first time, buying them, you know, has doubled or tripled this, this year. Yeah. Like there's just an explosion of creativity happening right now. So I, I don't think and we didn't know that obviously. Right. Go, you know, the product, uh, uh, at last holiday, but, um, I think it is the perfect year to launch this despite the struggles. I mean, we're up all night trying to figure this out because now tens of thousands of people can, can go out and make music at a time when they really want to yeah and there's like need for music something in the world need that creative lift yeah. you know that's such an optimistic you're probably, take you're probably you. yeah, yeah of course like that it is like this spark of the world is seemingly on fire um but now like we have this new exciting thing in the world that can be a means of escapism can be a means of expression um can be a means of community because you have a bunch of people getting theirs at the same time and learning together and all these things like that. Um, I think that's, that's a really inspiring outlook because I, I look at it, I look at you and, and from a perspective of, perspective of like, wow, like supply chain and like, how do you get this stuff shipped out? And I think about that nightmare, but for you to hold steady on that vision, I think, I think, I guess it comes down to your core mission, you know, with Artifon is like, the accessibility, getting things in people's hands, making, giving people the tools to be creative. I think that's super inspiring because you're very on brand. Like you did not, despite all the trials and tribulations of releasing an instrument in 2020, it actually accomplishes everything you want it to. It, we didn't, we, we chose not to compromise on the product vision and, and, and the promise to, to our backers and our customers. Um, that was that was really hard and there there's a lot of other ways to do this you know before we leave the kickstarter part of the conversation hopefully some of our backers are are listening in i just you know i'm so thankful like thank you uh for for letting us do this and and you know this is something that just it just wouldn't exist Otherwise, really wouldn't. We couldn't have done this on our own. We're not. We're not a big enough business to just try out new ideas and see right. if they work. This is, this is how this is built. And now we're getting a flood of of um, our backers posting their videos, letting their kids play with it. Like all this amazing um, reaction, musical reactions to it that 
those just wouldn't exist if if Kickstarter backers hadn't gone in. So anyway, I just wanted to very explicitly say Absolutely. thank you to anyone listening because um, it's yeah we're we're really thankful. Yeah, so. it makes the dream come true for sure. Hey everybody, real quick, sorry for the interruption in the middle of the show. I just wanted to let you all know that these shows happen live every Tuesday on a show called Tetro Talks. And uh, you can tune in and ask questions to the guest live. Sometimes we do call-in shows. But uh, all I need you to do is go to youtube.com slash Tetro, subscribe to the channel, and turn on notifications so that you get notified right when we go live. You'll also get notified. Sometimes I schedule these interviews so you can like plan for it in your day and all that good stuff. But uh, you should go ahead and, and do that so you can be part of the show um, when we do it live. But yeah, let's get back to the conversation. Enjoy. And now the Orba, the latest instrument from Artifon. And we were going to get into talking about the Orba. And for those of you who don't know, for those of you who haven't seen my content with it yet, my performance and my kind of performance breakdown, um, I figure, Mike, you want to just give us a overview of what you've got going on with Orba here? Yeah, of course. Um, I do want to make sure we're getting to those questions. but I'll Oh, yeah, for you. sure. I'll make sure we do. Um, how about okay, this one? Well... This one I believe is referencing instrument one, but let's um, let's apply it to Orba. How long did it take? The question is from Seon in the chat. How long did it take you to make the Artifon prototype in the original design? Did you plan for the iPhone in mind? So I think that's instrument one base. Maybe talk about both. Yeah. So from prototype I'll, I'll to getting it out. Yeah. Yeah. So um, instrument one was a four year year R&D process. Wow. We started out and it had a dock in it um, originally <laughs> for the 3GS and then the 4 and then I think it was after the 5 we were like we're not going to we can't Yeah, do let's break that oh my orbit is yeah, ready. Let's break that down for people. So there was a version of this instrument that you would take your iPhone. Obviously the iPhones were not this size and this was not what it looked like, but you would dock the phone right into the instrument. But that was fairly it common was back then. That, that, there were keyboards it that did cool. that. Yeah. It kind of makes yeah, sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was like 30-pin cable, you know, like yeah. all that stuff. Uh, Not very so, future-proof. Was that kind of the reason for pivoting, or was it just sort of a different decision? Yeah, we wanted to go universal than that. Yeah. Um, yeah, four years of, of R&D on that and, and, and a bunch of redesigns. I think we had like five different sort of generations of the electronics and the design and all that. Um, and then, and then, yeah, uh, we launched on Kickstarter after that and, 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 you know, kind of figured it out. Um, Orba has been about a two year process. And so um, a, longer than that in its original conception, really just the idea of um, this handheld, really gestural controller um, but the way that you know what we what we know of Orba today, um, which I'll I'll give a quick overview, um, yeah. has been about a two year process, and I think we learned a lot from the initial Instrument One design that yeah. we were able to kind of get there, get there a little faster. Um, but it's still it's it's not it's not too fast. I mean, it's it's uh, that sounds it's fast been to me. Two two <laughs> years to bring this like new little instrument into the world, and you know what I find remarkable too is that a lot of times you know, small companies do Kickstarters or whatever, put, put out a really cool product and then their next product, it it kind of is just either unrelated or you can't even tell that they go together. But these two, like the DNA is very clear. 
Like, it's very clear that these two are in the same family. They are related, whether it's like the built-in speaker, um, the expressiveness, the, like the attention to expression, the multiple ways of playing it. Um, I just think that that's really cool. The aesthetic, obviously, um, you carried the DNA through. I assume that that's a very intentional uh, vision on your part. Yeah, I mean, the the sort of minimalist design yeah. uh, overall was, was, was key. Um, and then we wanted to apply the lessons we learned from instrument one into Orba and make sure that someone coming from instrument one to an Orba would could kind of feel, feel a similar vibe. It's, it's a, it's a pretty different use case in, in a lot of ways. Um, but, uh, you know, whereas the instrument one is really focused on translating all these traditional gestures into a digital workflow, um, Orba is not as much about traditional gestures, uh, like what you would do on a, ukulele or or even a drum or whatever but it's about what our fingers do every day and so you know we're tapping on our desks yeah. and we are thumb texting and we are game controllering um and and you know even even moving things around and so um uh, and then there was a, actually this whole food uh inspiration with it too like all these round like grapefruits yes and, and the slices like little uh, yeah and like teacups and things um so the ergonomics were were really inspired by um everyday objects the roundness of them and then really the dexterity that that our fingers have in the 21st century is incredible like our thumbs are probably you know smarter than ever before uh because we're just using them non-stop and so an instrument that kind of celebrates that we we talk about it as micro gestures mm -hmm. so um the ability to get a lot of sound variation with you know uh millimeters of of, of movement yeah is uh uh that's that, that was a big thing we were going for here so um i don't know if you want me to give uh a quick kind of tech overview. Or yeah, let, let's give an overview. I'm sure there might be some folks in the chat who haven't watched any extensive content and they're just curious what is what's possible. Okay, well, I've got actually I have or we just we just launched um, silicone sleeves today, mm -hmm. so this is like a a little sleeve that goes. Well, I'll take it out of here. Yeah, that's great. And um, and so this is uh, this is the device capacitive touch interface on the top so think you know your phone or a trackpad um feather touch like is it, we actually know that you're there before you get there that's great. and it's velocity sensitive it's um uh, it's super fast unlike a lot of other capacitive touch things we really focused on speed and like near zero latency um can you explain because you've explained to me before how you have velocity sensitivity when it's a hard surface can you explain that to the folks? Yeah. So, so velocity on a traditional keyboard, <clears throat> like a um, like a, a synth uh, keyboard, yeah. is the time it takes to get from one place to another. So from start to finish, there's a time yeah. differential, and that's how you measure velocity. Key on, key off. Like how how fast that the fast the speed of that motion. Right. right. So it it. Um, you know, you basically have just two measurement points there. What we're doing, so capacitive touch is um, is is 
basically you're interrupting this this electrical field and when you do that it it happens to various degrees so you know like the theremin um this is a similar kind of idea like the closer you get you know the the voltage changes think about it like that but on this really micro scale that the closer you get to this and the more you touch it um is actually interrupting that that electricity um to varying degrees and the more we sample that the faster we sample it we can we can see sort of the curve of when you're coming down and when you're touching it and then how much area you touch it and so on and basically what we're doing internally in real time is is measuring all that and then parsing it and figuring out what kind of gesture you did did you did you do a um you know a very quick i don't know if you can hear that but yeah you know, quick release or did you hold? Yeah. And that's the and same so we, pad. We, we should know for people that's the same pad. Yeah. So that's reacting to the way you're touching it. Just like in this case, like a traditional drum, if you, if you hit and hold, it's going to, you know, it's going to squelch it or if you let it go. And so we're thinking about gestures Like people don't need to know that. That's not, that's not something we necessarily need to teach people because if you're, you know, if you're banging on pots and pans in your kitchen, you're going to get the same effect. Yeah. So it's almost like um, modeling, almost like physical modeling of gestures, not just sounds. Um, so anyway, a lot of, a lot of fun new technology with with the uh, the the surface interface. These eight pads um, are basically, you know, we chose eight um, for single full octave. But you know, from a drum machine standpoint, that's not that crazy to have that limitation. Sure. And if you want, if you want more keys, buy a keyboard or something, or an instrument yeah. one. Like, there's plenty of things that give you all the notes. This was about the creative limitation of of only having a few. But what we matched all that with was well, actually that's a good. Yeah, let's talk uh, about that too. A whole nother sensor over there. Yeah. So motion control and. Um, it basically, we have an accelerometer and gyroscope built in to Orba so we can detect different types of movements and figure out what we want to do with them. So this is bump and it actually triggers a MIDI note. Um, and we can sense the velocity of that. And, and if you're using this as a MIDI controller, you can have bump trigger external, anything you want. Right. Um, in the case of say bass tilting is mapped right now in, in this preset to a filter and so um you know that's one thing but we also have uh, move and shake and these other um gestural controls uh in addition to uh what we're doing on the surface with this sort of area you you get all the motion controls underneath so it's kind of it's multi-dimensional in that aspect we we're sending I think it's seven different CCs, like yeah. all the time, uh, potentially for you to map in in sense, or they're automatically mapped in the presets that that we make. Yeah, Ken Gruz just asks if it has aftertouch. It seems like all those gestures um, amount to the same effect as aftertouch, essentially on some level. So, so it does have uh, an Orba version of of aftertouch. So. The reason it's called aftertouch in traditional MIDI keyboards is you press down on the key a normal amount 
And then some keyboards have more, you know, after your touch, you can go more. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's sort of um, how to think about it. So what we what we have is pressure on here. Now the instrument one has a, a, a actually pressure sensitive surface that, right. that uh, you know, it, it, even on a very small point of pressure. Orba works a little differently. Um, it's about area. So as you, if you only press a little bit, like a little bit of area, it will send a low uh, channel pressure slash aftertouch MIDI control. Um, and if you have a lot of area on a pad, it will, it'll send a high amount. So it's a, it's a slightly different version than just raw pressure, but, um, but it ends up being the same MIDI control. Yeah, cool. And I think that also offer, uh, answered sounds question about surface area and, and speed and all that. That's cool. Um, I'm glad we're getting dirty with this stuff. We can go, we can go deep if you want. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I guess it's worth explaining because you've been bouncing between instruments, but just the, the basic fact of like, you've got drum, bass, chord and lead presets. Okay. So now we're into kind of song design. Yeah. So the sense, the sensors we talked about, I should mention it has a built-in synth. It's pretty crazy what it can do on, I mean, this is a $99 product, but it has um, basically 15 voices that it can do all at once. Right. And, um, and so I'll go through um, and, and make sure I got my, my number right there. So <laughs> drums uh, uh, is, the first, um, uh, is the first instrument. And so for each pad, uh, we have a different sound. Pad eight's a little special because it's a a shaker. Whoa! I didn't even know and that. Then, hold up! Hold up! Okay. I didn't even know that. Hold in! Hold in! Pad eight. This will work with and any of the here. kits because I think I have a different kit. Yeah. Oh, it does work. I didn't even know I think that. You got a bump. Yeah, I got the bump in there. That's bump amazing. All right. Well, I learned something new. That's great. Um, you know, um, uh, kids love it and annoy their parents with it too. It's totally. really fun to watch. Um, uh, so, so that's, that's drum and pretty straightforward. Um, the, I, I already mentioned about the, you know, a lot of these sounds you can do as an open tap or more as a press hold kind of thing. Um, bass is monophonic. And so... You can uh, you can do just classic simple bass lines and then modify them, modulate however you want. Um, chords is a, a preset chord um, that goes in the scale. So I have this uh, in the key of E minor right now, and you can basically just think. Do you know the Nashville number system? Do you ever use this? I, I um, do not. <laughs> okay, so. Uh, it's not just from Nashville, but we like to we like to say that. Um, so, the the idea is, let's say you're in the key of C. One is C, four is F. Five oh yeah, is G. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. You, you know what I'm yeah. Um, so it was Roman numerals. That's all it is. Yeah. Um, but it it got really big in Nashville because you had all these session musicians, and you just and call out go, one four six five or something like that. Yeah. 
that's all you got to do. And then it doesn't. And now we're going to be in in A minor. Yeah. And uh, and oh, we got to go up. So now we're in B minor, and nobody nobody cares. It's still one four six five. Yeah. So we uh, it's sort of a play by numbers uh, yeah. concept. So that's how we've. We thought of it, and you know, people can look up Roman numeral or, or yeah. number based, um, uh, you know, how to play along with any song, and and so that was the idea with chords as well. Lead is a pentatonic scale, so here um, there's uh, fewer notes per um, per octave, but they it ends up for a lot of melodies just sort of out of the box. Um, it's going to work with almost any chord underneath. Yeah. And so by the time you layer drum, bass, and chord, and you're getting to lead, you probably, you know, for, for just sort of casual playing, you want something that's just kind of going to fit right in. And so we thought that would be fun out of the box to, to have pentatonic. So all the same control. And all that's coming from the built-in synth. Um, it's four notes. And then you can change your octave to um, So you can change uh, right on the device what you want your octave to be. Anyway, so you get four uh, uh, four on lead, um, three on chord, one on bass, and then, depending on how you look at it, like nine on, on drums. Um, somebody do the math. It's, it's at least 15. So, right. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. And then like, we don't have to have to do a, a whole demo with it right now, but then also you take those sounds, you can loop them right on the device. You can set your BPM loop record overdub. Um, that's amazing. And then just not to leave this out, but, um, because that's all amazing as a standalone device. I've been using it a lot as a MIDI controller. So just using it directly with Ableton as a Bluetooth MIDI controller, nonetheless. So using it wirelessly with Ableton, all those modes still applying. So going from drum mode, lead mode, chord mode, and being able to play all my favorite VSTs and plugins in there as well. And then the same level of expression. So still being able to use that gyroscope and accelerometer and the different ways of touching the slices. So I just want to- Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's an MPE controller right. um, that, that is, you know, has all these different dimensions, um, a lot of, you know, more MPE stuff is coming out every day. So it's, yeah. it's fun to be a part of that. And we're, we're working on MIDI 2.0 as well, which is going to hopefully streamline the whole process of setting all this stuff up. There's still a lot of, you know, nooks and crannies of the MIDI world to figure out. And it uh, plays nicer and that kind of stuff plays nicer with other DAWs than others. I mean, I'm an Ableton user and I love Ableton, but I will of course say that MPE is a pain in the ass to set up. And then all the different signals that come through when you start moving this thing around, like um, Ableton is not quite optimized for it yet. We can only hope for the future. Right. right. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, the, the, the two, last sort of big part it's a it's a long conversation to describe yeah. what what, do, what this small two, device can do you know <laughs> yeah exactly but the idea was how quickly can you make a song and and by song we mean a musical idea it can be five yeah. seconds long whatever you and so that's why we put the built-in looper um 
but also, as you're saying with the MIDI controller, then, you know, who cares about the sounds inside? It's not the point. Either USB or Bluetooth, and you're controlling anything, including like traditional analog gear. Um, you, you go through basically USB MIDI out to MIDI DIN, and you can tap into anything you want, or CV for that matter, um, if you have a MIDI to CV converter. So yeah. I enjoy that stuff on the side. It's, uh, it's fun to... You know, a lot of analog gear is about um, feeling like sort of the tactile nature of instruments again uh, in electronic music. And so having a controller that that is tactile and and you, you can kind of close your eyes and and uh, and just feel the music. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's where I end up on the weekends. Yeah. TWD Industries asks, uh, do they have a hand pan setting? So talk about those like hand pan drums, I believe. But it, I would say the experience is very close to that. Like, especially when you start playing in lead mode. Um, was that a inspiration? Because I can imagine a version of this. I'll go ahead and take this idea and make this happen in two years. But a version of this that is like, you know, what would it be like five or six times the size, you know, so we can really get the, this kind of thing going on. Was that an inspiration? So yeah, the handpans, I mean, they're so relaxing and mm. actually uh, I was hoping to chat for a minute about kind of like, uh, I don't know, wellness and like musical oh, for sure. style kind of stuff. Cause I think we've, we've talked about this before, but it's, playing music is such a, it's like a part of a healthy lifestyle, it's right? Therapeutic. It's therapeutic. Like, yeah so but it's only therapeutic if the experience of doing it you know i I just we've talked about this before and i've described it as like putting a guitar in an open tuning you put a guitar in an open tuning you hand it to anybody whether they have any guitar experience at all they can strum through the strings and it can feel good but if you hand a normal guitar in standard tuning to somebody who has no idea it becomes a stressful experience at some point um and then talk let's talk about some of the ways like with orba you sit down, you pick it up, and no matter your experience level, you can make something that sounds pretty good. Yeah. So, so the so we actually designed um, multiple sound packs uh, in the Orba app yeah. that you can load onto Orba. Um, one of them's called uh, Ohm, O H M, and yeah. another's called Ambient, and uh, and so I don't know. Can you hear that? Yes. And so the pentatonic scale really works well where you can really just play anything. And what we, what we find personally, what we're seeing people do now is, you know, keep it on your desk, reach over when you just need like 30 seconds to pause and, and play a few notes. And even just the process, like that was even back to my research, like my, my PhD stuff it was all where I got to with a lot of that research is people just want the world to sound. They want some control over their sonic space. Like they want a way to shut out sounds they don't want and bring in sounds they do want. And that's why we like close our windows when it's loud outside and put on headphones and, you know, uh, control our, our sonic world. Um, Orb is a way to do that, that I hope, as a musical instrument is actually more like the other objects in our lives that we, um, you know, that, that are just sort of there. Like we hold our phones all day and we yeah. kind of, feels, I don't know, we're getting to the point probably, probably in an unhealthy extent that we, it just feels right to 
have your phone in your hand. Like it's a, it's a sort of natural thing to feel. And that situation that you just described where it's like, if it's on your desk, it, it becomes two options. It's the option of grab the phone and scroll through Twitter or Instagram or whatever, or grab Orba and just kind of be in the moment making like changing your space with the sound, you know, like when, when those two options are presented, at least you have the option, you know? You could say it's an alternative to social media, you know, it's it's like, yeah, I think that's a really good comparison. So I, I want to design back to your first question, actually, I want to design creative experiences that, um, that are part of people's everyday lives that aren't these separate things that you have to carve out time for and, and, you know, that you don't feel good enough at ever. I want people to feel great from their first notes and, and that the instrument is just, just part, you know, just toss it on your couch, like toss it in a bag. Don't worry so much about, about whether you're going to scratch your, your, your uh, Les Paul or whatever. Right. And just get out there and make music wherever you are. And music can be ubiquitous in that sense it doesn't have to be sacred um and only reserved for musicians so yeah orba is is our our latest attempt to get out there and inspire people to just make sound whenever they whenever they feel like it within a couple seconds and yeah just kind of feel good yeah that's that's amazing um very um nashville philosophy coming out there (laughs) um a couple i know you like the nerdy questions so we had a couple around let me make sure i can find them so michael gromman asks uh it seems the orbis implementation is built to be opened up will there be a dev kit offered for the more technical music nerds later um so we are still uh uh yes the answer is yes we are still trying to catch up with our own um, sort of vision of, of what this can be with, with the feature set. So we're going to keep adding features in the next couple months here. Um, and, and one of those uh, directions we're headed is really that we've already gotten great responses from people who want to do more customizations, more, more mappings, either internally to Orba or externally with MIDI stuff. I mentioned that Max for Live download uh, is a step in that direction. Um, but yeah, we want to hear what people want to do. So, you know, the the technology in this can can do a lot of different things. We need to make sure that we design it in a way that is, you know, is useful for people. And so we need to hear what the use cases are. Totally. You know? So any if anyone wants to reach out or get on social and and toss some ideas out, we'd love to to help develop in that direction. Um, for us, it's all about, you know, it's about the music, but, but it's about having fun. And part of the fun of music is it's like Legos. It's like, you know, putting pieces together and seeing what, what results. So yeah, I want people to tinker with it. Um, yeah. uh, it's, it's, uh, because of how efficient Orba has to be on the chip, it, partly because of the price. Um, we, there's only so much we can sort of rebuild on it or, or open up in right. that sense. Um, but you know, we, there's flexibility there. Yeah. We'd love to hear what people want to do. Yeah. And uh, in a similar vein, Richard uh, Dorfner is asking, and I've seen this question a lot, especially being in the Facebook group is about opening up the synth engine so we can create our own patches for it. Is that something you guys are thinking about for the future? Yes. Um, and so one of the things, you know, the Orba synth is very powerful, um, but again, 
we had to figure out how to cram it all in in this chip. So it's not like a traditional synth where we just have, you know, the the sort of normal knobs and, and all that. It's more of a programmed thing at this point. Um, uh, and it's it's gestural. It's uh, the synth works. We designed it from the ground up to respond dynamically to all these different gestures. So it's um, uh, it's it's still again a design challenge in some ways how to make that uh, rather than people getting it and programming it, um, how to make that an interface that people want to use. And frankly, I think if you know there are thousands and thousands of synths out there which make incredible sounds that Orbit can play all of them. So if it's a particular sound, otherwise, I'd recommend plugging into all those all those synths. Uh, what we're focused on with Orbisynth and customization is really letting people have a musical intention and then and then get there. And so, you know, in the case of like this uh, kind of chime sound, we designed it, we programmed it so that tilting has this sort of amp envelope um, dynamically. Um, that's a gesture mapping as much as it is a sound design. Yeah. And so um, that's what we're, that's what we're working through now. Again, I'd love to hear what people want to do. You know, if there's any limitations you're finding with Orba right now, or if you just have a dream of what it could do, um, we want to build for those experiences rather than just, um, you know, make it up or expect people to, learn to program uh, and just create sort of a dev environment. Um, we, we have tens of thousands of customers now who we want all of them to, to have fun with it. So anyway, keep the ideas coming because that's what inspires us to keep yeah. you know, building in these directions. Do you find the irony or the humor in the fact that you set out to design this super accessible, simple, minimal instrument? It's, it's not simple by any means, but you know, simple for the person who's going to pick it up and use it and but the irony in that people now want to open it up and do all this crazy stuff with it like i just think that's that's hilarious Um, um, it's i get it i yeah totally get it It's, it's my story too like coming from being a musician and playing instruments, I didn't design instruments as a kid. Like I, I played them. I, I played what was what was shown to me, and and then. But I was also a, a Lego kid, and mm-hmm. and so tearing things apart, rebuilding them was how I had fun. So I think for me, I kind of brought those things together in, in this um, uh, to to design and and I love. I mean, I don't know if you can see it. Like I've got some synth stuff eyeing that yeah (laughs) some modular uh uh, playtime uh sometimes and i love it it's really inspiring so um no i don't think it's it's certainly not a problem it's not it's not even totally ironic i think again for artifon the point is even even as we're giving people more things to customize or tweak or you know deep dive on on all the all that stuff we still want to design it in a way that gets people back to music. I do have my, my only um, critique of a lot of, especially digital sense. I think analog is a little different because I don't actually, personally, I don't do analog uh, synth to find a particular sound. I do it to kind of explore what happens when you interconnect all these things. But 
with um, with a lot of digital sense, you have thousands of presets in a you know in an app that, in a, a PST or whatever that you download, and um, and you just like when you actually watch people. Uh, I don't know, maybe maybe it's just me, but if I get on, um, you know, if I open up Logic or something, and I just I just start clicking through the sounds, and you try them for like half a second, you're like, nope, 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 right. not that, not that. It's, it's it gets you in this mind. It's almost like scrolling social media. True. It's just never ending, and you're not ever satisfied. And you get you know you're two hours in, and you didn't make any music. You just like sampled sounds. Yeah. And so. If you want to do that, great. Like that's that's fun too. We want to design products where you're making, you're creating, you're you're performing and expressing. And so we always want to make sure people are getting back to that. So anything that we design kind of has to go through that filter in a way, um, uh, rather than just more, 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 because we there's so much out there. Yeah. Right. Like if you want a sound, you can probably find it these days. Absolutely. I, I know we're going a little over time. I have two more questions, one from me and one yeah, from uh, okay. the community, which is really good. Um, I don't envy your position at all in, in launching a product on Kickstarter and in 2020, and you have such a optimistic and positive outlook on it in general, which is really inspiring. I wonder, and, and everybody I'm seeing who's getting their hands on Orba, I've yet to see a, um, I've yet to see a bad review. Um, I know I'm having a great time with it. I think the people who are getting it and getting it in their hands are having an amazing time and are very happy with what they have. Um, do you want to just speak to some of the inevitable uh, roadblocks or hiccups or bumps in the road that happen when getting products out to people via Kickstarter? Maybe speak to some of those folks who maybe are still waiting, who are still wondering like what's going on, who are maybe getting a little anxious about receiving their Orba. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I know we touched on this a little earlier, but I'm happy to give some more color to it. So we, you know, not only on the supply chain and then manufacturing side, but we had a lot of challenges on logistics recently. Um, this kind of crazy thing happened with um, Hong Kong, China and Hong Kong, where um, China started blocking certain types of electronics uh, shipping through Hong Kong. And our logistics partner got you know, we, we kind of got caught up in the middle of, of all that. So after ton, like many months of delay for getting the product into manufacturing at all, and then actually getting the parts and manufacturing it, then we, you know, we had them and then we got kind of stuck in this logistics nightmare. So we've been trying to figure out for the past weeks and, and really the past couple months how to solve for that. Um, we have to, you know, we're, we're about halfway through um, the, the whole process of getting everything out. Uh, I think at this point, um, we know pretty much how everything's going to happen, but they haven't all landed, obviously. Right. And it's so frustrating. I yeah. mean, I totally understand people's frustrations around this, and we are so frustrated and, and, and like trying every day to solve this stuff. So, um, you know, I, I'm really sorry for the delays here. We, we're we're doing our best and we're trying to communicate with people. I know we have, we have a great small customer support team trying to answer everyone's questions, but a lot of this stuff we don't actually know. I mean, when you're working with external partners, manufacturers, you know, shipping companies, all that, like 
There's a lot of it that's opaque and, and that we, we simply don't have the answers. So we're trying to be as transparent as we can. Um, and yeah, the whole point is just getting it in people's hands, but, um, it is, it's been the most challenging thing this year is not only making it happen, but, uh, you know, basically communicating with everyone and, and trying to get all the details that everyone wants all the time. Um, it's been, it's been a lot. Um, yeah. but I think hopefully, hopefully people understand that we're just, we're just a couple of people trying to figure this out too. And, and we'll yeah. get there. I mean, we're getting there closer every day. So anyway, um, happy to answer anything out. We're, we're an open book on this stuff. Yeah. We're just, I think it's it's just interesting because on the internet, I think people assume that every company that they interface with is some big faceless company of thousands of employees and customer service people who don't care. And it, it's hard to adjust that expectation, you know, In but people should know that you guys are just a small creative team and you guys are trying your best and it's not up to you. If it was up to you, you'd have Warba in everybody's hands, whoever, you know, wanted one. So it's so far beyond yeah your control. So I don't envy that position to be in. Well, and with, um, with the Kickstarter, the international um, uh, response was incredible actually for both Kickstarters. Um, you know, about half of, of our customers are beyond the, the U S and the, the logistics the certifications around all that, um, how to get into all those territories and all that is, um, is really hard. What, what inspires me about it though, just to kind of bring it back to, you know, why we're doing this and, and the, the kind of optimistic side is people are responding internationally very differently to, um, to what Orba is and what they want to do with it. And so these, these um, different cultures are seeing it in different lights. We've got a lot of people in India really, um, really excited about Orba right now. And there's a tons of you know microtonal musical uh kind of things traditionally there and so i, I think rat, we could have just launched this as a much smaller project that we delivered you know hand built or whatever units and, and only grew there we ended up going out and saying hey world what what do you want and yeah. now we're still trying to catch up with with that demand but in the end this is going to be in 70 countries around the world and people are going to make all kinds of music with it. That's, I mean, yeah, that's the point. That's what we're working for every day. So um, we're almost yep. there. For sure. <laughs> so, Amazing. Yeah. I, I want to thank everybody who's in the chat. I see people answering each other's questions. That's really, really helpful too, because we have time for probably one more question. I think that this is a good one from uh, Sayon over in chat. And maybe just a final good way to kind of close out this conversation is what's your advice for a musician who wants to work on a product? What lessons did you learn when it comes to uh, forming or making a team? I know we kind of talked about that a little bit, but if we can maybe zoom out a little bit about some lessons learned and advice for the musician who's thinking about, Oh, maybe I want to do this someday. I think deciding if you want to do it as a business or as a, as a personal project. And so if it's a personal project, just do exactly what you dream. Like this is about you. This is about whatever limitations you find of other instruments or technology out in the world, fix it and, and design it for exactly your use case. And don't worry about how it's been done before or, or what people might think or how it looks or whatever. Um, if it's a business, it's not about you at all. It's about what everyone else wants to do. 
And so it's really about studying and interviewing and, you know, it, gathering a team together who knows how to build um, scalable things. And, uh, and it's, I've seen not just in instruments, but in, in tech overall, you know, a lot of people have ambitions to, um, yeah, and great ideas to get out there. But if the business, if it's not scalable and it's not meeting the, the market need, it's, it's, you know, those, those things aren't going to match up. So it's kind of to, to design it in a way that's for the general public is, has to be a really humble approach because it's not, you know, it's, it's not about your intuitions. It's not about your desires. It's about what people say. And sometimes they, you know, what they want to do is it's not even what you want to do. Um, and so it's weird as a designer, it's a weird place to be in where you're like, like a teacher, you're serving other people's needs. Teachers learn a lot by being in the classroom, but they learn more about themselves or, or about the next generation or something like that. But it's about the students. Um, they're the reason why people teach. So I think if you're designing for other people, you just have to watch and listen and, um, be really responsive. Les Paul was a good, um, uh, uh, or Leo Fender, you know, these, these classic, even Bob Moog, especially like he wasn't a touring musician. That wasn't the point for him. He was hanging out with musicians and listening to them and designing for them. Um, and he changed, he changed the whole world by doing it. So anyway, that's, that's been some of my inspiration and approach yeah. in that direction. That's great advice. Um, I want to thank everybody who tuned in today. This was a really great chat. If you tuned in a little bit later, this stream will be up um, to watch again um, on my channel and on 343 Labs channel. I also usually put a podcast version up on in my podcast feed, which is Tatro Radio on your favorite um, podcasting platform. You can find um, lots of good content up in that feed. Uh, thank you again, everybody who watched. If you haven't yet, 343labs.com if you want to check out some more educational uh, music production classes and see what's available. Streaming every day on youtube.com slash 343labs. And um, if you want to find out more about Artifon and the Instrument One and, of course, Orba, their latest instrument, you can just head to artifon.com. Or even go on YouTube and type in Orba Tetro into your search bar and find uh, my session and tutorial with Orba. And I'm definitely going to be making more. Um, so it's great. But Mike, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thanks, Nick. And that was fun. All right. That was our conversation with the founder of Artifon. If you haven't yet, check out some of my videos with the Artifon Orba or, or the Artifon Instrument One. Just give it a Google. Just take a look at what these instruments look like if you haven't seen them before and you can really understand kind of what we were talking about um, throughout this conversation. It's really inspiring and something I might think about doing one day, you know, creating my own MIDI instrument. I've learned so much. Um, maybe I can take that knowledge and apply it to creating something new. I don't know. I think that would be cool. If you enjoyed this uh, talk, Go ahead and subscribe to this podcast. Leave it a rating. It would really mean a lot. Tweet at me at Nick Tedro. Let me know what you thought of the conversation. Let me know what you think of the podcast overall. And make sure you're subscribed over at youtube.com slash Tedro. That's T-A-E-T-R-O, um, where I'm posting lots of beat making and tutorials and all that good stuff. Anyway, for now, thank you for listening to Tedro Radio. This has been Tedro. Have a good one.